Once upon a time, there were three writers, Izzy, Bella and Erin. They stole a prompt uttered from real life and they ran with it. Bella, hit us with the theme tune. Stop it. <laughs> One day there's going to be a theme tune. I'm so excited for there, that day. There will, you know what? I will do it because um, next next season... Next season. Oh, okay. Next series, I will have one because I will have had time. So, yes. <laughs> Hang on for that. Hang on for that, yeah. I didn't nearly say that to you, Erin, but you've been listening. So, have, you I would did. know what's coming. I know it's coming, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, for this episode of Prompted, we use the prompt. Do you want to say the prompt, Bella? Oh, the prompt. Ooh, you've given me the honour. Yeah. Um, the prompt was, oh my gosh, I thought you were a sofa. I don't know why I handed this over to you, because this was my prompt. Yeah. Because what happened with this prompt was I was just sitting in my living room and my flatmate Dan had a headache. And so he was just, he's our number one listener, by the way, or one of our many number one listeners. Hi, Dan. As far as Dan's concerned, he's our number one listener. Shout out to Dan. (laughs) Don't get too excited about it, but you've been mentioned. Uh, He has been begging for a mention. Poor Dan. Um, so Dan was just curled up, having a headache, listening to some sort of podcast on the sofa. And our flatmate Lara comes in and she's just got her tea and she looks at Dan and he moves and she screams and goes, oh my gosh, I thought you were a sofa. <laughs> it's just Lara's goatee thing to say. Does he blend in with the sofa? No. <laughs> I feel like it's just tired student life of not being aware of your surroundings anymore. Yep. <laughs> no, exactly. So that was just... A beautiful prompt, basically, that I thought I would steal. How did everyone find this prompt? I took it in a very, very strange direction. (laughs) But I really enjoyed it because it was one of those prompts where I feel like you could do whatever you wanted with it. You could go with the comical side or you could take it in a darker way. Mm. I'm looking at your piece and I don't think I can ever unsee your strange direction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... took it quite literally because I think that I can because I'm doing my genre is pantomime because we have our panto on Friday and Sunday this week yeah so little advertisement little plug for that (laughs) (laughs) yes I'm really excited for that Erin how did you take the prompt I took the sofa bit out of it which was a bit hard (laughs) um so apologies for that but I think it still worked yeah that's cool. And yeah, what genres did everyone have? I've already said that I've got pantomime. Um, I had absurdism slash surrealism. Ooh. Yeah. And Aaron? I had superhero. That's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm really excited for Aaron's piece from what I've heard about it so far. Thanks, so. Bella. Yeah. I'm excited for all of our pieces. So should we get on with the first piece? Absolutely. Bella's first. Okay, cool. I'm first. Ooh. Okay. I've got to remember the voice I had for this. <laughs> yeah, everyone's going to read it out in the creepiest way possible. Okay, here we go. Absurdism slash surrealism. Mm-hmm. Paloma shaved two zucchinis into a pile of translucent strips, oiled them, and crumbled pepper generously over them. She placed it all in a china bowl and garnished it with some plain pieces of chicken breast. It was simple, but pleasant, and smelt of very little. Paloma had always had an overwhelmingly sharp sense of smell. She took the food down into her basement. The light was already on. Setting the bowl on the coffee table, she sat down opposite the television. Christ! She leapt up. The sofa was hard and lumpy beneath the sheet. She pulled it back. Abigail! She shrieked. What are you doing under there? I thought you were the sofa! 
Abigail stared unwaveringly at her. Paloma sighed. I'm sorry, she said, picking her lunch back up. I know you're not feeling well. Would you like some zucchini needle salad? Abigail's eyes were heavily lidded as she regarded Paloma. A small twist of her lips told her that she wasn't hungry. Feel nauseous? Paloma brought the sheet back up to Abigail's chin. I'm sorry to hear that. She picked up her bowl of zucchini noodles and began to fold them into her mouth. Abigail stared forlornly at the opposite sofa, where Harriet and Lola sat. You two all right? said Paloma, chewing on some chicken breast. I'm going to make pizza later. Lola looked upset. Without the cheese, like you like. Harriet had her legs thrown over Lola, and they were locked into some awkward embrace. Lola's cropped platinum hair tickled the perfect point of Harriet's sun-kissed skin. Abigail, still looking pale and sickly, seemed to reach out for Paloma. She clasped her hand between both of her own and pressed a full, oily kiss to it. Feeling left out? She cooed. Don't worry, we can all share the bed later. Her lips curved into a lecherous smile. We can all get real close. The phone rang then and Paloma jumped. She cursed, left her bowl on the table and climbed to the top of the stairs. The noise was shrill and made her twitch. She hated when people called. Am I speaking with Paloma Robinson? The voice sounded gummy through the yellow receiver. Paloma cleared her throat and hummed quietly. We're calling from SDP. We'll be delivering your package later today. A thrill shot through her chest, sudden and terrible. Delilah, she whispered and then coughed again. All right, she said. What time? Around 4pm, ma'am. Will you be available? Yes, thank you. The phone hit the wall with a clack. She squealed and hurried back down the stairs to tell the girls the news. My lovelies. She picked Lola up and spun her around. Harriet, displaced, slipped off the sofa and fell with a thump against the armrest. You have a new friend coming. Her name's Delilah. She left Lola on the floor next to Harriet. Abigail, perk up. I'll let Delilah sit with you. She spent the next few hours running her hands up and down Abigail's legs, preparing her for when Delilah came. When the doorbell finally sang, Abigail was perched like a cockatoo on the table, mostly naked and with her head tilted to the left. Are you excited? said Paloma. Of course you are. Why did I ask? Delilah came in a tall cardboard box with fragile, taped in red all around. When Paloma split the thing down the middle with her Stanley, it belched a glut of pink styrofoam peanuts and plastic wrap. She reached in and took Delilah by the shoulders, the backs of her knees numb with excitement. She was beautiful. Her skin was a deep yet delicate hue, unblemished and velvet beneath her fingertips. Her eyes were a lyrical violet, and her hair fell in cascades of crisp, auburn curls. Paloma brushed a strand from her face and leant down to press a soft kiss to her cheek. Welcome, Delilah. She said into her ear, and then lifted her into her arms. Delilah's joints were stiff and plastic, her legs up at an unnatural angle, but Paloma was not concerned. She would grow more malleable over time. I'll introduce you, she said, once she had Delilah sat next to Abigail. But I'll need to find you some clothes first. What do you like? A pause. Floral. I have an A-line that will suit you so nicely. She snapped her fingers. Do you like biscuits? I have ginger nuts. I'll get you some. They all sat still like some surrealist portrait whilst Paloma went and fetched the dress and the biscuits. Lola gazed at Harriet with her legs crossed, and Abigail, pensive, observed Delilah. Delilah, new as a baby fresh from the womb, felt nothing. She was turned and watching the stairs, waiting for Paloma to return. They all were. They didn't exist without her. That is really creepy. That is incredible. <laughs> does this woman have any friends or does she just live with dolls? She just lives with life-size dolls. That's so creepy. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I love how at first you can kind of think that they're all just humans hanging out. And then the moment that you realise it's dolls is like... 
kind of ruins the whole like vibe of the piece. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the slow build up of realizations you piece the things together. You're wondering like, why no one speaks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Aaron, how can you do that voice? I, d- I don't know what that was. I've That's never done that before. It, it Please was never do that again. So I'm sorry you had to hear that. <laughs> I was just sat there like, oh my gosh. You're such a versatile voice actress. I'm really mm. not, but thank you. Hire Aaron on any website. <laughs> Erin has a future in radio. <laughs> really don't. Speaking of Erin, should we move on to your piece? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, this piece is called Shift. Because um, my genre was superhero, the sofa bit kind of didn't appear. But mm-hmm. I still think it works. This is a short film as well. So I'm going to have to read slog lines for a bit of it. For it to yeah. make sense. Exterior, city, night. A city lit up by garish billboards, street lamps and Christmas lights. City centre. The side of a skyscraper displays numbers on a giant screen, a countdown to midnight. 40, 39, 38. Below, crowds of people jostle and cheer. We move past them, into the outskirts of the city. City outskirts. A worn black boot splashes through a puddle on the concrete. Cassie ducks into an alleyway and presses her back against the wall, panting. She is silhouetted by the streetlights and fireworks lighting up the street behind her. Cassie clenches her fists. We hear her start to shapeshift before we see it. The crack of bones, the snap of muscles tearing and reforming. She collapses to her knees. Her silhouette elongates and changes. City centre. The crowd begin to count down of the clock on the skyscraper. Ten, nine, eight. City outskirts. Cassie's transformation is nearly complete. Her hair changes colour at the roots. She blinks and her eyes belong to someone else. She is no longer a young woman, but a man of different height and skin colour. City centre. The crowd cheers as the countdown reaches zero. City outskirts. Cassie straightens up and starts to run down the alley. City centre. A man dressed in all black moves through the celebrating crowds. He holds a small device, which he points discreetly at the people around him. City outskirts. The man comes to the start of the alley Cassie has recently left. His device begins to beep. He examines the screen and smiles. He starts walking down the alley. Interior, flat. Cassie hurries down the corridor until she reaches door 42. She nearly drops her key in the rush to get in. Cassie enters the flat to see a woman staring back at her. She is tall, with noticeable muscles in her arms as she points a kitchen knife at Cassie. Ida? Ida lowers the knife a fraction. You're meant to ask the question. What was your imaginary friend called when you were my age? Herbert. They both put down their knives. Whose face is that? Someone I saw on TV. Yours? Matt shouts from the other room. Edda, is that her? Edda takes Cassie's hand and leads her out. Interior, bathroom. Matt is scrubbing his arm over the sink. There is a large, burnt-looking streak of red skin that runs from his wrist to his shoulder. As Edda and Cassie enter, he smiles through gritted teeth. It's worse than it looks. Cassie takes his arm carefully. Then how bad is it? Matt grips the edge of the sink and shifts. The skin tone on his arm changes, getting lighter than darker, but the red patch stays the same. Does it change size if you turn younger? Frankly, I don't want to risk it. What if my bones shift but my skin doesn't? It must be a new formula. Does it hurt? The chasers are upping their game. Of course it hurts. You're lucky he didn't get it on your face. Lucky? Chasers carry this formula in spray bottles now and I'm supposed to be lucky? Fireworks go off in the distance. 
They all jump. Where's Adam? We got separated. You what? Pause. Matt and Cassie look at each other. Edda, go and change. But... Now! Edda exits. Cassie and Matt speak quietly. He said he wanted to split up, make it harder for the chaser. Where? By the shutdown bowling alley. Did he... I don't think so. But he hasn't called. Cassie sits on the edge of the bath. She throws a shampoo bottle at the door before burying her face in her hands. He wouldn't tell them anything. You don't know that. He's stubborn. He'll handle them. And that formula they have? They wouldn't use it straight away. They'd try and bribe him first, get him to sell us out the easy way. Edda knocks on the door and they both jump. Interior flat. The Edda standing outside the door is now much younger, 13 at most. I changed. Interior bathroom. Good. Can I come back in? No! Matt takes out his phone and dials. Cassie watches. It goes straight to voicemail. Matt hangs up. I'm going after Adam. I see, so they're all cast out, kind of, from society for being shapeshifters, right? Yeah, I think they're hunted, but I'm not sure by who. That's very interesting. So I really like the concept of some spray bottles, so that means that whatever gets sprayed cannot shift. Yeah, so he's sort of stuck now because Mm -hmm. his arm's not going to move, so if he turns into a child, it's not going to work. It's going to look really odd. I always love that trope of when a superhero gets powers, what if they lose it? Yeah. I really like the sort of threat to it and... But because it's one of those things where the su- some superheroes react and they would think they wouldn't really mind if their powers went, they would quite happily go back to civilian life and other yeah. people just can't go back. And I think that's really interesting. Is there like a community of shapeshifters, like quite a few of them? Uh, I mean, there's, there's four of them in this, so I'm wondering if there are little bubble groups of mm. them everywhere, mm. but I'm not sure. I just like how, I really like how you've described the shifting. I think that would look really visually interesting on screen. All of the sounds, all of the stages of their shifting of what changes first. You know, now the eyes go and now the hair goes. I think that's really cool. Write it for an audio medium. (laughs) (laughs) I think it still worked really well. Also, Mm. I'm wondering what their, like, original forms are. I think Edda's is a 13-year-old girl. I think Mm. that's why she's so kind of freaked out and the others are just well they're not calm but they're controlling her um that's why they say i'll go change yeah because she's she's just like a child and i don't think the other two are i think they're like adults Mm. yeah how did you find writing in the superhero genre i really enjoyed it i i think with the spray thing it was the idea when you went like whenever you write a book with characters Mm. with like superpowers like if it's fantasy or superhero or whatever um there's got to be some way of limiting them. Yes. Um, and that was just my way of doing it, I guess. I think, I was trying to think, who is, just just in general, the other day I was thinking, mm. who is the most powerful superhero? Because I used to think that superheroes can be all-powerful, and then I realised every writer has to put in some kind of yeah. flaw, some kind of kryptonite. I feel like Captain Marvel is pretty up there for most powerful that's true i really want to see what the mcu do with her because she is just the most the most powerful and so i don't know how they're going to find uh, villains to match her and also i don't know how they're going to have her interact with the other less powerful superheroes yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i just love all everything superhero genre like the mcu is really interesting and i think how that's quite light-hearted yeah. in terms of it's got its really dark moments but it's also got its super warm fuzzy light-hearted jokes and things 
And I like how in this you sort of had a bit more of a twist on it. You made it a little bit darker. And it was, yeah, just really interesting. Thanks, dude. Should we move on to yours? Yeah, should you do my piece? I, yeah, I have gone with pantomime this week and I had a lot of fun writing it. Um, I think it's just great doing something a little bit lighter tone. I did um, Peter Pan as a pantomime. So, because obviously you can tell that I used to love Peter Pan as a child. I think that was the first pantomime I ever watched. Peter Pan is brilliant. It's just, ah, uh, it's great. I want to fly. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, we'll start off. Peter stands on the window ledge as Wendy sits up on her bed. Her brothers, Michael and John, are sound asleep in their bunks. Tink flies stage right, trying to drag Peter away with her. You could come with me if you like. I have school tomorrow. Shame. School? Isn't that the thing that you do to make you smart when you grow up? Yes. Then just don't grow up. Good plan. Let's fly away. Wendy jumps out of the window. A thud sound effect sounds. Tink starts to laugh, then morphs it into a dramatic cry when Peter glares at her. I'm okay. She hobbles on stage covered in white bandages. It's just a flash wound. Do you want to learn how to fly? Well, it's not like I can walk anymore. Tink, give her the dust. Excuse me? Pixie dust. Is what you need to fly? Check if she's suitable first. Oh, uh, yeah. Peter takes out a business-like clipboard and puts on his glasses. Just a few questions, miss. Nothing too difficult. Okay. Do you have faith? Yes. Trust? Yes. Trust fund? Yes. Credit card? Yes. Pin number? 0420. Okay, that's all. Bye now. Peter and Tink go to fly away. Wait, come back. Peter flies back onto the window ledge. Fine, you're ready to fly. Tink, give her the pixie dust. Ah, fine. Tink throws glitter in Wendy's face. Wendy coughs, then starts to fly. The gang are about to fly away when heavy footsteps are heard off stage. Where do you think you're going with my daughter? Peter and Tink scream. Mother Swinky stomps on stage wearing a leather cat suit and a bright pink beehive wig. Oh my gosh, I thought you were a sofa. I may not be a sofa, but you can sit on me. Mother Swinky, don't you look wonderful today? Striking a pose. I look wonderful every day, darling. Look at all of these people staring at me. To an audience member. Close your mouth, love. You look like you're catching flies. Where did you get your outfit from? It's a little something from my biker days. You were a biker? A hairy biker by the looks of it. If you have something to say, fly down here and say it to my face. No thanks, I'd rather stay upwind of you. The only thing that stinks around here is your attitude. I'm an old widow, you know. They say to respect your elders, not dinosaurs. Dinosaur? At least it would take an asteroid to wipe me out. All I'd need to destroy you is makeup remover. Insult my looks all you like, but at least I have a brain. Says the one flying outside our window, all sparkly and glowing in the middle of the blitz. I mean, look at you, all graceful and elegant. I'm Tink and I fly away from my problems. Oh, you think it's easy to fly? Tink throws pixie dust at Mother Swinky. She rises upwards, kicking and flailing. She crashes into the window, then crashes into the bunk bed of her two sons. Mother? (laughs) That's Michael and John. In the chaos, Wendy and Peter sneak out of the window. Mother Swinky stabilises herself by clutching at the bedpost, without even having to look. Where do you think you're going? But Mother, I'm only going to Neverland. Do you really 
really think I'm going to let my daughter sneak out into the night with a boy who came into her room while she was sleeping? It's okay, miss. It's perfectly safe. Aside from the pirates and the crocodiles and the uneven terrain, the storms, the lack of any adults... It's safer than the Blitz. Mother Swinky is dragged towards Wendy's bed. She screams and clings to the posts. Okay, fine, but I'm coming with you. Who's going to look after us? Childcare is so expensive, you know. Can't Nana look after you? Nana's a dog. Children are always so needy. You'll have to come with us. John and Michael cheer while Wendy groans. Tink sprinkles them all with pixie dust. Anyone else you want to invite, Mum? Our cousins, our cousins' neighbours, our cousins' neighbours' dentist. Can we hurry up and go already? I'm missing location, location, location. Speaking of locations, where is Neverland, Peter? Second star to the left and straight on till morning. Laughing. What a load of codswallop! The closest star to Earth is 4.3 light years away. And to the left, my left, your left, stage left... When Mildred asked me where the post office was the other day, I didn't say second bin on the right and straight on till the six o'clock news. 48 degrees for 42 miles didn't quite have the same ring to it. Come on, this is taking forever. Hold on, I just need to pack a few essentials. Mother Swinky exits, then re-enters dragging a huge wardrobe full of bright dresses. Great, now let's go. Wait! Mother Swinky exits again, then re-enters with a table full of cake. Are you really going to take all that cake? Oh, you're right, dear. It's way too much. Let me get rid of this pie. Mother Swinky slams the pie into Tink's face. That's better. Now, one more thing. Mother Swinky exits, then re-enters with a huge passport. Uh, it's okay, miss. You don't need a passport. Oh, thank goodness. I hate to carry this around. It has the most hideous photograph of me. I look... Awful. Mother Swinky opens the passport to reveal a photo of a stunning model. Gosh, you've aged so well since that photo, Mother. I think I've aged ten years since we first got here. Let's go! The gang fly and the bedroom set is replaced with a background of stars. They sing I Believe I Can Fly. <laughs> that <laughs> was brilliant. Oh, I love this so much. Why haven't you written a panto yet for Panto Society? <laughs> Honestly, write one. That was amazing. I only just joined Panto Society. I don't care. Write one for Panto Society. That was brilliant. Wow. Dear, dear listeners, for those of you who can't see us, I think me and Bella were trying to not laugh. I was fine. <laughs> crying honestly <laughs> the what was where is it the bit where you're kind of like oh i didn't say when someone asked me where the post office was i didn't say a uh, second bit on the right and straight on till the six o'clock news that was so brilliant <laughs> i think i was thinking about so this all came the sofa i was thinking about what mother swinky might wear and she's sort of very much based off of the dame who always um, is in the panther that I watch at home. He's always very sassy and very much centre of the stage, and rightly so. And so I just <laughs> thought it'd be great that Mother Swinky gets dragged along with the Netherland gang. At least it would take an asteroid to wipe me out. <laughs> <laughs> wow, such energy. <laughs> I had a lot of fun writing that. <laughs> We've got a happy piece on this show for yeah. the first time in ages. <laughs> I loved that. 
Oh, it was fun. It was just a lot of me trying to look at the actual plot of Peter Pan and thinking, okay, how long can I stretch out this scene? Because I think Panto, the plot's obviously fun and important, but I think Panto is about um, all of the character comedy and each of the quick quips and stuff like that. And so you just use a plot in order to get all of that in. And what's quite nice about Panto is you kind of veer away from the original story in a way that's quite funny and has twists to it. So the whole idea in this that Peter and Wendy are like trying to escape for like a night away together, but then the whole family end up coming, including the mum, which is a massive plot twist. And I love it. I love it so much. This... Yeah, because we've got our panto this week. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I am very excited for it. So if you want to hear more of that incredible acting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, we're all in it. So come along. I'm so excited for tomorrow. Excited. I'm so nervous for tomorrow. You'll be fine. Oh, my goodness. See, Bella's directing it, so it's the extra pressure of if any of us do badly, it's Bella's fault. (gasps) I should should also point out, just for Dan's benefit, Bella is co-directing. Dan is also (laughs) co-directing. Dan is very, very, very pedantic about that. He really, really wants me to mention it. I'm co-directing. Mm-hmm. He even has a line in it where he he mentions that I'm co-directing. He's not even a single character. He just shouts of state <laughs> co-directing. The joys of Panto. So what time is Panto on tomorrow? So doors open at 7, but the Panto mm-hmm. starts at 7.30. Can you buy tickets on the door? Yes, you can buy tickets on the door, but it's also on the SU website, and it's tomorrow and also Sunday. Mm-hmm. Please do come along. It's all going to a charitable cause. Which uh, charity is it? Calm, so Campaign oh, Against nice. Living Miserably, which is a really, really important charity. So mm-hmm. please do come. Yeah, I'm so excited for it. My first panther that I'm in. It's, it's I've very seen exciting. so many. <laughs> and like... you have picked up quite a big role quite late on in the game, haven't you? Yeah, I got... Confirmed to have um, a fairly big role, the village idiot style role. Um, <laughs> I found that out on Sunday, so I've been learning my lines this week. I'm getting there. I think it's you're doing incredible. <laughs> I mean, Aaron's just been given a role just before the show. Yeah, but I don't have any extra lines. <laughs> yeah, but it's a physical role. Aaron is the sea monster in Hercules, so the first one Hercules fights. Yeah, Ness of the river god. <laughs> But yeah, so those were our pieces, and now we have our topics this week. So our first topic that we're going to talk about is fan fiction. Nice. (laughs) I'm excited for this. I've never personally written fan fiction. I've always either created my, uh, my own characters, but stayed very much in the genres that I'm reading, so I've been very heavily influenced by the things that I've been reading, or I've been re- like reading my friends' fan fictions and stuff like that. So that's my experience. I've written quite a lot of fan fiction. You're quite famous in the fan fiction world. I wouldn't say famous is the point. right word. Maybe I've got some quite popular pieces out there. You will never get the name of my account out of me because it will <laughs> oh. stay secret forever. Is he you want to go on the internet and hunt this thing Should down? We try and find it. Yeah, <laughs> try and stalk me through like on the fan fiction website. If any of our listeners find it, please send it to me. <laughs> Do Want not. No, 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 no. You, what you'll what fan fiction it. did you write? Oh, God. So I wrote uh, originally for mm. Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock, when I was about nice. 15. So some of my early works leave a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of built quite a big fan base 
through Sherlock. And then I started writing for Merlin and I started mm. to get requests from people. And now I sometimes, but it doesn't really get posted, write for Voltron. And that's because I feel like writing fan fiction helps with my writer's block. Mm. Um, so if I'm struggling to write, it's a lot easier to write something when you're already familiar with the characters and you're already aware of some storylines that can help you get out of the writer's block so then you can go on and write your own pieces. That's what I tend mm. to use it for now rather than posting it online. Yeah, I think I had a similar thing. Not quite, obviously not fan fiction because um, I haven't done that. But um, I had, when I was about 15, I had a main project story that I was focusing on writing. And then I had, as, as a side project, I wrote a story for my cousins. So all of my cousins were kind of members of a mafia gang. And we were in rival mafias. And it was called Blood versus Broccoli. And I think it just really helped having... Sorry, blood, sorry, versus blood versus Broccoli. Blood versus Broccoli. Because the two mafias... One of them's called blood, but in Latin because I'm edgy like that. I don't actually know Latin. I'm just a Google Translate's version of Latin. What's broccoli in Latin? Oh, gosh. Okay, so one of them is, I can't pronounce Latin, but algentum? No, I can't remember. I was 15. And the other one's sanguine. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's blood. Anyway, they're rival mafias, and I just really found it helpful to write sort of exaggerated versions of my cousins and I share it with my cousins I, th I think the whole plot came out of I was texting my cousin and we were like ah wouldn't it be cool if we were part of a mafia and so I had the basic plot and I just had a lot of fun writing it speaking of Latin uh we know someone who wrote a fan fiction from like about the Cambridge Latin course and I studied Latin at school and she read some of it out to me and I was like, Caecilius and Grumio did what, Estin Horto? <laughs> um, <laughs> in the garden. Um, so <laughs> that was quite funny. You can write fan fiction about really, really funny, interesting things. This is the same person who wrote about Big Cook and Little Cook. Do not. <laughs> Ruined my childhood. <laughs> but what experience do you have in fan fiction, Erin? I've written... One piece of fan fiction for a dare. Go on. Um, and it was, interestingly, it was also Merlin, because I have a friend who loves Merlin and was mm. upset with the finale. No spoilers. Who but... wasn't upset with the finale? I know, I know. So um, so I said I'd write... It was like two two sides of a page that I wrote like that evening and then gave to her the next day, but it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my first works were very, very bad. Um, but I can't take them down because... So many people have like commented on them and have read them, and I You're just they, too adored it Bella. Still we get happens. it. Stop it! <laughs> but the thing is, I do really want to take them down, and I've like mm. preempted every piece with like, "I'm so sorry." Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, Merlin. My Merlin pieces, which happened later on, I feel like are better, but mm. not that great. Um, fix it, fix are quite like. A popular one. That's another mm. reason why it's quite easy to use it to get out of, like, writer's block is because you can just fix the storyline that you didn't like. Yeah. Um, oh, that's smart. So that's quite, that's quite cool. Fan fiction is also, like, a really nice way to get to know people. I was going to say, I feel like in all of the... Because for this topic, I don't have much personal experience. I've been asking people around about whether they've written fan fiction and what they've written. And... Every time it's been the case of 
they wrote fan fiction and it brought people together. So yeah. when we were talking about our friend who wrote Big Cook, Little Cook in the Latin one, she was saying about how she wrote it with all of her friends. So she was reading out all of these pieces that she'd done and she'd collaborated with her friends in it. And I just think that's a great way to hang out because you're hanging out with your friends, but you're also learning to write and getting those skills. And it's a lot of fun. And I, I just thought it was amazing. I know that when I was... Um, when I was about 15, I had a friend who was writing One Direction fan fiction, and I used to always read it every time she did a new chapter, and I was really enjoying it. And then she put me as a character in it, Aww. and I found that really nice. I mean, she killed me off later. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what a nice friend. We had a falling out, and so she kills me off. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, I was dating Niall, I'll have you know. Oh, okay. my thing. Yeah, she, she had Harry. Um, of course. It was great. We were vampires. Although oh. I wasn't turned yet. I was human and then killed off. This is oh, fascinating. Okay. I know. Can I read this? <laughs> but yeah, but it was just great because it's it was a great thing for us to hang out together and talk about her work. And I really liked reading her work. And she obviously loved writing it and getting loads of feedback on it. And I just think the sweetest thing is to put someone else in your novel. I just think that's so lovely. I did used to write fan fiction for people's birthdays. So, Aww. like, if we were, if we shared, like, a fandom, then I would write fan fiction and sort of send the link to them and be like, I wrote this for your birthday. Mm. Um, but the other way to, I sort of, it's sort of really nice to meet, like, people you've never met before through fan fiction yeah. as well. So, um, sort of meeting people in the fandom community, but also um, you've got people who are, like, I think it's called beaters, where they edit your work for you and you can have someone who works quite closely with you with that and also people who create fan art for your work which is really Aww. nice um but i've also had people translate my work so my work oh, wow. exists in portuguese it's quite cool to talk to people who are, who've messaged you and gone i want to translate your work and then you start like friendships with them as well it's just a really nice way to get to know other writers mm. and you like usually you then probably talk about what you're writing of your own work i've had lots of conversations about novels people are working on and things like that i also met a partner through fan Aww. fiction so yeah, it's been it's been quite a nice part of my life. I know people tend to sort of be like, "Oh, fan fiction," but it's been wholesome for me. That's the thing. I think it's so readable, and I, I think it's so attentive. It's because it's the sort of media where you can write it when you're starting out, and people are more forgiving. But then also, you can do really good quality professional stuff. And then, as you say, it's a great. It's always difficult to advertise your own writing. It's so, it's so hard because you've always got to be have some sort of online presence to get people to read your actual work. So I guess that's quite a nice side step in to be like, oh, you like this work, which is associated with this thing. Why don't I shove you a little thing that's completely my own? I, yeah. I know that um, when I went to the Edinburgh Fringe with my improv troupe, there were lots of other shows that always... Um, linked to some sort of popular thing. So there were lots of Game of Thrones adaptations and Doctor Who adaptations. And there were things like uh, improvised Shakespeare and stuff like that. So if you're completely unknown, as a lot of these comp drama companies were, to have something that people do know and think, oh, I like Game of Thrones, I might try these guys out, is a really great way in to connect people to your piece because they sort of know a little bit 
of what to expect. Whereas people kind of, I feel like with entertainment, it takes a lot to trust someone with your time to say, oh, I'm going to watch this for an hour. I think that that's a big thing for people to do. And so if someone already knows that they like something, if, if that they like Game of Thrones, then they know that they're going to like, maybe like this drama and then more like to trust it. Like a stepping stone. It's very cool. Yeah, a stepping stone. You need something to link you to the audience. Also, I... stay safe online, kids. Yeah, do <laughs> stay safe online. Don't, like, just randomly speak to people and then mm. meet, meet up with them. Stay safe. <laughs> but just, yeah, I have had quite a nice experience online with it. Everyone's been very friendly. And I feel like if... And I have advertised my own work on there before. Mm. And people have been very, like, receptive to it. So it is a nice stepping stone, I think. Could you advertise prompted on it? I could, actually. You know, that's a good idea. Yeah. But then you might find me. Oh, I really want to. You will show it to me one day. One day. On, on my deathbed. <laughs> on your deathbed. <laughs> so, with Bella's death, that moves us to the next topic. How does that move us to the next topic? I'm trying to find a way to segue, Bella. <laughs> she's, my she's, death? She's doing a very good job. Bella's death goes to Izzy? Yes. No, it just goes to Izzy. But no, I was oh. indicating that you... <laughs> All right, let's try that again. Right, right. My death... What happens? Okay, what happens after that is that was surprising that you died, or was it suspenseful? That's a good segue. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Suspense in novels, is that what you're guessing yes. at? So, we're going to talk about suspense versus surprise. I think okay. in novels, in I know it in a screenwriting context, because that's what I've had a seminar on. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that. So. Basically, the way that I see it is suspense is a great way to build up the audience and has a huge payoff. But at the price of, in order to create suspense, you have to tell your audience exactly what's going to happen very early. Versus a surprise, which is a complete random plot twist, which has a payoff at the time. But it's a bit more of a, can sometimes feel like, if you do it too often, it can feel like a cheaper payoff. And it kind of can come out of nowhere sometimes and then the reader just doesn't believe it. So what are you guys' opinions on it? Um, suspense is good. Suspense <laughs> yeah. is good. Our tutors in creative writing tend to say that suspense is good. And you and a plot twist that is a surprise can be done really well, yeah. but you do have to be careful with it. Um, and, yeah, they do tend to tell us off if we're a bit too sudden out of nowhere with a plot twist. Yeah, definitely. Because we had it in our screenwriting seminar and he was our tutor was talking about Alfred Hitchcock yes. is that the one yeah. that is the one um, about how he was a master of suspense and they our tutor basically showed us two clips from Hitchcock's movies and one was it was just two people having a random mundane conversation and out of nowhere just the street explodes mm. and then he showed us another clip which was we can see someone put the timer on the bomb so we see it and we know it's going to go off and then we see the mundane conversation and then it explodes. Yeah. So the first one's an example of surprise and the second one's an example of suspense. And I don't know how you would have had the same seminar, Erin. I don't know how you found, but I thought that the suspense one was a lot more interesting because when it forces if you know that something's going to happen you're really looking and reading into that mundane conversation and you're on the edge of your seat thinking when is this going to happen was the surprise one was still quite effective it was that it the i agree with you the spent form was more kind of 
interesting to watch and that it was mm. kind of two minutes of you thinking everyone's going to die like kind yeah. of watching it but um with the, with the surprise it was more just a explosion and you jumped and that was about it yeah but, um funny story about suspense if i may yeah go for um it. i was making a short film at the beginning of the sorry at the beginning of this term mm. and uh, we had a moment where a character hears someone at the door yeah um and he gets up and he very slowly goes over to the door and he reaches out his hand and just as he's about to touch the door, another actor opened the door really suddenly from the other oh. side. So it was kind of a very long kabam, and it was, mm. it was it looked really good in the short film. In the bloopers, however, the door is electronic and it locked. So oh. um, I've now just got a random blooper of this, this actor reaching for the door and then stopping and just hearing the other actor on the other side of the door go, oh, for goodness sake, <laughs> and just because the door is broken. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. I think you need a balance because if yeah. you spend your whole piece building up to something that doesn't happen until the end, I feel like the audience can kind of switch off a little bit. Mm. Whereas if you have it the whole piece building up to something, but there's the odd surprise that the odd random plot twist happens, I think that's more watchable if you have a bit of both. So we kind of talked on the show before about horror and I am mm. a horror fan and I feel like a good mixture of suspense and surprise yeah. are usually really good for horror. I found that the best horror games and horror films are when you feel really unnerved and uneasy and uncomfortable for when a really music, long time. Yeah. And there's not necessarily a jump yet, but you just feel really unsettled mm. and there's things leading up to it suggesting what the ghost might be or what might happen. And then the surprise after as, as it sort of as it comes out of nowhere just as you're slightly unnerved it's always really good and really effective in horror mm. whereas horrors that are just cheap jump scares and there's no leading up to it and the atmosphere isn't creepy enough that's usually not as good yeah i think also um thinking about it in different genres i was thinking about suspense versus surprise in improvised theater mm. i was thinking surprise in improv is quite you you obviously can do it but at the expense of your scene partner because if you're acting with someone else and you want to put in a plot twist only you know that that's gonna happen and so it's gonna it kind of throws the other person off a bit if you suddenly go oh i've i've been dead five years (laughs) because because suddenly they have to react to something that's completely away from the reality that they've built up and they have to react to it quicker than the audience does. And I think that that's mean. Where suspense and improv, where you've both slowly... Where, so suspense, you'd build that up by uh, maybe I would hint at something and then my scene partner, Erin, would hint on something to say that she's the same page. Yeah. And we'll sort of have this mind link knowing <laughs> that we're about to do something and then we'll reveal, I'm pregnant. That's, <laughs> I feel like that works better yeah. than just dropping something on your scene partner. Yeah, I, I think also when suspense is done... In an annoying way, it's very disappointing. So I don't give spoilers. A Netflix series, if you know what I'm talking... <laughs> if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But there's a, a Netflix series of an episode where a character is trying to get out of a building while pursued by monstery type creatures. Uh-huh. I don't know if you guys know which one this is. Um, and they get all the way to the edge of this building, chased by these monsters, and it's kind of a big relief of, oh, thank God, the suspense is over. And then the character dies. Oh, in a really why would you bring this up? <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Again, I won't say what series it is, but I just felt that was a very 
annoying choice because it's like, oh, you've, you've made me wait half an hour mm. of watching this character run through a building chased by monsters just to have them get killed as they reach the door. It was a very disappointing yeah. payoff. I, I feel like that's the thing because, like I was saying earlier, it's a big deal for someone to think, oh, I'm going to watch this for half an hour mm. and I'm going to trust half an hour of my life to this person to entertain me. And so if you do suspense in a way that's kind of annoying or in a way that we drag out the suspense because the key with suspense is you drag it out for as long as possible but if you drag it out to an annoying amount the audience just goes well I don't really care at this point yeah because we've been waiting for this to happen for ages I know it is going to happen it's not happened yet and it's been this long and we've got five minutes left I don't care of the about it anymore I think you can't be too predictable I feel yeah, you have to be... I feel like you can be predictable, but in the way that if the reader thinks, oh, I predicted this because I'm clever. Mm. I, I feel like you have to make the reader think that they're smart in figuring it out. Mm. I, like, that, that's the thing. Because everyone likes to, for example, in Murder Mystery, everyone really likes to think, ah, I figured out who the killer was just before. I'm really smart. I'm going to be really happy about that. And then... When really you're just playing the writer's game. Yeah, exactly. I, so much power. <laughs> it, I was so upset when I found out that writers do that because I was thinking, oh, I'm quite good at reading books. I'm quite clever at seeing what's going to happen in plays. And then I realised that I only know... I only figured out this stuff because the writer literally told me <laughs> just in a way that I don't know I've been told. I think that's just beautiful, though. And on that note of how powerful we are... <laughs> <laughs> Segway. Segway into our topic, which this segues quite nicely. Okay. Into our topic of how acting helps our um, writing. We'll just do a quick summary on this. Okay. So. Do we have time for this? We've got like. Hey, I just looked at the clock, okay? <laughs> quick sentences each while I get up the ending speech. Okay. Um, I think that acting helps you write because if you've read a lot of lines that are easy to say, like if the line flows well and if you know that it could be well acted, I think that helps what you're writing. Awesome. Thanks, Erin. And thanks to the prompt <laughs> provider. I'm sorry. Thanks to the prompt provider of Lara for giving us a prompt. And thank you guys so much for listening. For more prompts and writing, please go to Prompted Writing Podcast. Thank you. Goodbye.